Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, October 17th. In today's news, Donald Trump's pick for drug czar withdrawals, a big win against ISIS, and the Supreme Court agrees to take up a case that could impact your email's privacy. But first, the big idea. Hawks are worried about the lack of American resolve to confront North Korea. President Trump's bellicose rhetoric toward Kim Jong-un is making it harder to marshal domestic support for potential United States intervention. Good morning from Palo Alto, California. I've just spent the past two days here talking with fellows at the Hoover Institution, a conservative-leaning think tank on the campus of Stanford University. The think tank is important in the Republican foreign policy world. Former secretaries of state like Condoleezza Rice and George Schultz are here. Jim Mattis came to Hoover after he retired from the Marines and left earlier this year to become Secretary of Defense. The building is stocked with people who had top roles in the administrations of Bush 43 and 41, as well as Ronald Reagan. North Korea preoccupied nearly every conversation and panel discussion that I was involved in over the past two days. And for good reason. California is thousands of miles closer to Asia than Washington, D.C., the hard truth that the Bay Area could soon be in the range of a North Korean intercontinental ballistic missile makes the discussion feel much more serious. The U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency concluded this summer that North Korea has successfully produced a miniaturized nuclear warhead that can fit inside its missiles, and estimated that the communist country's atomic arsenal now includes up to 60 nukes. One defense policy expert at Hoover named Corey Shockey said that the North Koreans are responding rationally to what she calls the, quote, sloppy threats by the Trump administration. She argues that it's very important to immediately begin negotiations with North Korea, something Trump publicly says he won't do and doesn't want to engage with. First, she thinks negotiations are useful intelligence tools. But the main reason she favors a dialogue is that we may actually have to go to war on the Korean Peninsula. And if we do, she believes that her mom, for example, is not going to be able to get to a place of supporting that unless she thinks that her government has done everything possible to avert it. This was a common refrain. Stanford political science professor Amy Ziegart surveyed a group of over 250 senior foreign military officers recently. She asked each of them to rank seven factors that would be the most important in determining whether or not a threat from another country is credible. She was shocked to discover that domestic political support for military action beat out by a pretty wide margin other factors like the size of the other country's military or its willingness to risk mass casualties. By that standard alone, Trump's threats must not be terribly credible. A Washington Post-ABC News survey that we conducted late last month showed that while more than 70% of Americans agree North Korea is a serious threat to the United States, there is very little appetite for intervention, especially a preventative first strike. Against this backdrop, the saber-rattling continues from both sides. North Korea's deputy UN ambassador warned yesterday that the situation on the Korean peninsula has, quote, reached the touch-and-go point and a nuclear war may break out at any moment. Meanwhile, South Korean and U.S. troops began five days of naval drills overnight that will involve 40 ships, including the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, U.S.-based Syrian forces liberated the city of Raqqa from Islamic State militants on Tuesday. Forces are now removing landmines left behind and searching for the extremist group's sleeper cells. 
Raqqa had served as the extremist group's headquarters and self-proclaimed capital of their so-called caliphate for more than three years. So this really is a big win. Losing Raqqa is a huge blow for ISIS, which has steadily lost territory in Iraq and Syria, including Iraq's second largest city of Mosul a few months ago. Now, the challenge is preventing this territory from falling into the hands of people who are loyal either to the Iranians or Bashar al-Assad. Number two, President Trump announced Tuesday morning that Representative Tom Marino of Pennsylvania has withdrawn as his nominee to be the next drug czar. Trump's announcement follows widespread blowback across the political spectrum in the wake of a Washington Post and 60 Minutes joint investigation published Sunday that showed Marino worked closely with drug companies to pass legislation that made it harder for the federal government, the Drug Enforcement Administration specifically, to crack down on opioid abuse. A chorus of Democrats had come out yesterday urging Trump to drop Marino as his pick to lead the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Number three. The Supreme Court on Monday agreed to hear a dispute between the federal government and Microsoft about emails stored overseas. The case began in 2013 when U.S. prosecutors got a warrant to access emails in a drug trafficking investigation. It was served on Microsoft in Washington state. But the data that they wanted was stored on servers in Ireland. Microsoft contended that if it were forced to turn over the information in Ireland, it would lead to claims from other countries about data stored here. This is the second important case on digital privacy that the Supreme Court will hear. The justices increasingly have been called upon to settle legal battles between law enforcement and technology companies and to interpret laws written before the technology revolution that now raise a lot of pertinent questions about privacy. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, October 17th. You can read much more about the latest on North Korea and the latest in Trump's agenda in my newsletter at WashingtonPost.com slash Daily202. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Hellman, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.